we are jumping into our final gospel truth. Now, as we begin, we're going to have a little quiz. Make sure that you guys know what we've been learning. The first week, someone just totally cringed. I saw that like, oh, shoot. The first week, we had talked about belief. Do you remember that? We talked about big belief and small belief. We can believe in the big things of God. God creator. We can believe that even that God loves us so much that he sent his son. But the big question of belief is not always this big belief in the creator of the universe, the God who sent his son. But the bigger belief is how do we receive it? Do we actually believe that God has come to rescue me? Do we actually believe that God wants to step into my life and prove himself good and great and glorious? Do we actually believe that, that in the trauma of our lives, a great example, on, on Thursday night when I was in the middle of eating a sandwich, did I actually believe that, that, that God cared enough about me to put his hand upon me? What about going through loss? What about a financial situation? What about a job circumstance? Do we not only have belief in the Creator that when we look outside and we see the trees and we see the leaves and we see the snow about to come to bring us a very white Christmas, do we believe in a God who wants to step into our every single moment? I mean, let's forget about the every single day. But do we actually believe in a God who wants to step into every single moment of our life? And what we've been talking about, we've been talking about the four G's. The first one is God is great. So what? I don't have to what? Be in control. Good job, Dave. Yeah, Dave's been listening. God is glorious. So I don't have to what? Fear others. God is glorious. So I don't have to fear others. And God is good. So I don't have to what? We talked about this last week. I don't have to look elsewhere for my what? Satisfaction. And the funny thing is, every single week, I'm getting either text messages or emails or, or someone pulled me aside and saying, hey, did you know what I was going through this week? This whole idea, do we actually believe these gospel truths? That God is great. So I don't have to be in control. Do you really believe that? Do you actually believe that God is glorious so I don't have to fear others? Do you live in a place of fear that you have to prove yourself, that you have to kind of align your life in a way to, to appease everyone else? That God is good so I don't have to look in a place for satisfaction. You see, as I thought about last week, I thought about the image of the tree in the garden. And we think about like how God almost tempted Adam and Eve. That wasn't the case at all. God had said everything else is good enough but that. And yet they struggled with believing that everything else that God had created, that God had made, that God had produced, that God had given them as a gift, that it wasn't good enough. And that one thing would bring complete and eternal satisfaction. And how true that is. We all have that thing that we want, want run to. That one thing that we will run to for satisfaction. 
that we believe will give us more satisfaction than God can give Himself. And some of them seem more gross than others. Some of them seem like, like little, little bad things, but not huge things. But the, but the bottom line is this. Anything else that gives us satisfaction besides God is actually sin. When we say that we need this more than you, that's when we cross that line. And instead of looking at things that God has given us to enjoy, we look at them as being gods to us. You know that whole idea of demigods? These little gods that control us. Well, this week we're going to talk about our final one. And it's God is gracious. God is gracious. So I don't have to prove myself to others, to myself, and to God. Listen to that. God is gracious. So I don't have to prove myself to others, to myself, nor to God. The greatest illustration that I can think about is this, is uh, as I played college football, as all of you know. And when you play sports, you, you live in this constant tension of having to prove yourself better. You live in this constant tension to fight for the starting position. You live in a place of always having to outlift outrun, outwork out, outshow up, come a little bit early to the point that it drives you that you are more concerned with a person that you are fighting for a position than the importance of your team winning. And it comes to a place that, that as little kids we're taught this, right? That the starters are the best. The smartest are the best. And all these people are accepted more than anyone else. That, that we live in this place and we actually condition our children to live in a state that they are always having to prove themselves right. And always proving someone else wrong. But here's the tension. We live in this place that, that God has said, I don't want you to live like that. And the tension is, is that we believe that that's how God views us. Right? That we live in this tension that we have to prove ourselves even to God. To the point that we get so wrapped up in ourselves thinking that we're worshiping Him and following Him that the whole time we miss Him. And the whole time God is just sitting there like, what are you wrapping yourself in? There's nothing you can do to prove yourself. So let me ask you a question. God is gracious. So what does grace mean? What does grace mean? Someone just shout it out. It's okay, you're allowed to do that. Unmerited favor. What a great response. Unmerited favor. Listen to that. Unmerited favor favor. Now that seems like the right answer, which it totally is. But what does that actually mean? What does unmerited favor mean? It simply means that there's nothing you can do. There's no accomplishments. There's no rights. There's no behavior. There's no actions 
There's not enough money that you can give to prove yourself to God. Take a deep breath with me. Do you realize that the one being that you do not have to do anything to impress is your Creator? Nothing. The only thing that we can do is have faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Everything that we do in light of God, unmerited favor, unmerited favor is only found in us believing that God so loved the world that He sent His Son. You see, the Sunday before Christmas is the greatest time to talk about that God is gracious so I do not have to prove myself because the Christmas story is all wrapped around God's Grace. That while we were yet sinners, what did Jesus do for us? What did He do? He died for us. That while we were yet sinners, while there was a broken world, a world that was running away from God and not to God, that He said, I love my creation, my greatest creation so much that I'm going to send my Son Jesus And I'm going to live it through a narrative that I'm not only going to send a person, I'm sending myself, the Godhead three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that He loves us so much and that He wanted to show Himself, reflect His love so deeply that He said there's nothing you can do except one thing. Receive Him. By grace. By grace. Listen to this, this verse, Romans 11.6. And, and since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is. What does it say? Free. And what? Undeserved. That God is so gracious, so loving, so compassionate, so longing to be in a relationship with humanity that He's going to say, I'm going to make it so simple that all you have to do is receive it. Now let me ask you a question. How good are you at receiving gifts? How good? Any of you good at receiving gifts? I know some of you are. Any of you good at receiving gifts? All right, where are all the kids? Yeah. Bill, you can raise your hand. You just had it up, okay? How many of us have a harder time receiving a gift than giving it? Me. Me. Do you know how hard it was for me to ask you to pray for me this morning? Do you know how hard it is? Because I want to bless you. I want to pray for you. I want to do things for you to be a sign and a symbol and a signpost that Jesus' love is real. And so for me to give a gift, I love it. And yet you can ask the most important human being in my life how well I am at receiving gifts. And she would say, terrible. Thanks a lot. Terrible. 
But there's a truth to that. Because there are times that we receive a gift that we feel that we have to pay it back, pay it forward. That there's never this place that we can just get it because someone simply loves us. I mean, think about that. How many times has someone given you a gift and you're like, and what's the string with it? And what, what do I have to do in return? And, and, and what are your expectations? Because this gift is really, really big. Am I supposed to get you something bigger? And then you start out-gifting each other to a point that the whole idea of a gift was stolen. And so the question that we need to ask is, Do we actually believe that God is gracious? That God wants to give to us His life, His eternity, His blessings, His presence, His power. And all we have to do is say yes. Do we believe that? Because the way that we live determines whether or not we actually believe that to be true. So the first part is this. God is gracious. So then why? Why do we constantly have to prove ourselves? Why do we have to constantly prove ourselves first to others? Why do we have to prove ourselves to ourselves? Then why do we live in this this religious cage of works so that God, we, we appease Him. It's almost like we bring sacrifices to Him. Fruits and vegetables, animals, and we have to do, oh, do a funky dance that, that we get His attention. So here's what I want to do is, I want to walk through each of these. First, why do I have to prove myself to other people? You see, here's the kind of life that we live. We we actually live like the Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots. We don't oftentimes hear about Zealots, do we? The Zealots were the most crazy ones out of all of them. But we oftentimes hear about the Pharisees and Sadducees that, that their whole life was built on proving themselves right to others for approval. That their whole world was wrapped up in finding the approval of holiness from other people. And so their whole lives were where God gave them ten simple rules and all of a sudden they said, you know what? That's not holy enough. So they made over 3,000 more rules that they had to follow. And we see that in the Gospel that, that Jesus confronts them about working on the Sabbath. Remember when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath and, and all the Pharisees and Sadducees got mad at Jesus. And yet in that moment, Jesus brought him life. You see, there's a huge part of us that is constantly sizing ourselves up to the person next to us. We'll walk in a room, and this is as as simple as it is. How simple 
and messed up as it is. Then when someone walks in a room, Ethan, come here, you're a good looking guy. Look at you. Yeah, let's give Ethan a hand. Look at this beautiful man. It's good to see you. He's back from college. I love you. I could walk in, if I was a college student, and I walked into a college dance, and I saw him, I may be more concerned about having to compare myself to him than being myself. I could get more wrapped up in, in trying to hear his story, to, to out-tell his story with, with things that I'll exaggerate on or, or things that I'll kind of it, it make a little bit more than they really are, little white lies. Or I may watch him with ladies, because you are a ladies man, right? Or a lady killer, slayer. Okay, no? All right, good. Yeah, liar. Anyways, <laughs> but I may watch the girls that come around Ethan, bump, 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 and watch them, and then all of a sudden, start saying, why are they with him and not me? And then all of a sudden, I'll see his cool flannel shirt. And then I'll see his tank top. And then I'll see his funky boots and be like, that's what I need to do. His hush puppies? Are those hush puppies? Those hush puppies? Clark Wallace. Okay, same thing. But anyways, I may look at him and start sizing him up. Because... I want to achieve more than he has. And we start comparing ourselves in a pecking order. And all of a sudden, we put on a mask of being something we are not. We start changing our music. We start changing our actions. We start changing what we dress like. We may change our interests. And all of a sudden, we put this mask on to prove ourselves to other people that we are different than who we actually are. You see, when I do that from Ethan to me, I'm actually saying to God, I hate what you've created. Do you know that? Do you know every time you go to work and there's a jealousy in your heart, every time you look at someone and you size them up to someone else, every time that you see their house or their car or their this or that, and you get to this place that you start having to live to the expectations of others, do you know you are telling God you hate what He has created? Good job. It's awesome to see you. Can anyone relate to this? And we put on this mask... And we even do it in church. We try to be holier, more self-righteous. We try to do so many things to just say, yes, 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 yes. And we start living in a place that has nothing to do with Jesus, but acting holier than who we really are called to be. You see, all Jesus said is, is not that He wants us to be holy and perfect, but that He wants to be holy his. God is gracious, so I do not have to prove myself to others. Close your eyes, okay? In your life, who have you done that to? Who have you put on such a pedestal that you have tried to live up to certain expectations or made yourself out to be something that you're not to prove yourself.
God, I want to ask for healing. That this would stop. That there would be no more having to prove themselves to this individual. And that this is just a sign that they actually struggle. I actually struggle with how you created me. Open your eyes. I mean, think about this. So much of our lives, we, we even try to dictate our children as they watch TV, as we bring them to certain places, as we say, stop acting like that. Why can't you be like that person? That we actually poison them, poison them with this. That they have to prove themselves. That they have to act a certain way. That they have to be better than, 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 than someone else's kids. You know how hard that is when you're a house full of hyperactive people? I learned at a very young age as a parent because that's how I grew up and my parents never did that to me purposely. It's what they did. And I remember when Brandon was just a wild child. I mean, at three years old, he was riding his, he rode his bike, he swam, he did everything by the age of three. And that's not even an exaggeration. First day that he rode his bike, he said, Daddy, I want a motorcycle. I said, okay, learn to ride your bike. He said, let's go ride it. I gave him a push. He fell down. I gave him a second push and he took off and he never stopped riding again. But there was times with Brandon that he would go crazy that I was like, why can't you act like this? Why? And I finally one day, God said, stop it. Stop it. You're going to teach that kid to live a life of comparison. And that's not how I've created him. Nor you. Don't put your baggage on your son. That could be the message right there for someone right now. You don't have to prove yourself to others. What about proving ourselves to ourselves? Listen to this verse. It says here in Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by His grace when you believed And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Look at that. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Salvation is the gift that God gives us the moment we believe that He loved us so much that He sent His Son, and because of His Son, we have eternal life. And everything else out of our lives flowed from that. But how often do we struggle with ourselves? Do we have such high expectations on who we are supposed to be? That how we're supposed to act. That when you're in your 30s and your 40s, that all of a sudden you start comparing yourself to what you envisioned that you would be like in this moment. Who your spouse was. What your house looked like. How much money you had. The car you were driving. The motorcycle you were driving. Where you went on vacation. All these things that so much of what we're doing is if we're not proving ourselves to others, we're proving ourselves to ourselves. 
Now here's the danger. When you try to live in a place of proving yourself right to yourself all the time, it has nothing to do about God. It has nothing to do about God's transforming power in your life. And it becomes all about you. It becomes about your righteousness, your actions, your behavior, your way that you, that you have made up this, this image of what godly is supposed to be to the point that when we do things right, we get angry at God because we expect God to behave like we want Him to. Anyone ever do that? Me. Do you know what was so cool about this week? Was not getting the endoscopy. That was not cool at all. What was so cool is that I have been asking God for the longest time to show me one of my greatest fears growing up. I was asking God to really deal with me in a supernatural way because we all have fears. And I live in a place that that I'm more concerned about proving myself to myself than to other people. And I put all these heavy expectations on myself. That it's about my good deeds. It's about my actions. It's about, look at me, God. Look at me, God. Did you see me fast for 40 days? God, have you seen how many hours I've prayed? God, have you seen all the things? And God showed me my greatest fear growing up. Why I act like that. And I have been begging Him for the longest time. Why do I get so terrified of you and of myself? And I was driving my car. And God showed me, you are terrified to fail. You are terrified to feel like a failure. And I know so many people that will look at my life and be like, dude, you got it all together. You got a smoking hot wife. Rare. You have four amazing kids. You have the coolest dog that any neighbor has ever had. What's wrong with you? Sometimes our biggest blessings are our biggest curses. I was told at a young age what I was supposed to become. And if I didn't live up to that, I was a failure. And so then I become a Christian and I start dealing with this. And all of a sudden I put all these wrong expectations on myself that are unhealthy and ungodly. And I can tell you, every time I fast, when I'm fasting for you, when I'm fasting for the church, all of a sudden, God will bring me to my end. And He'll say, Rob, as you've been praying and fasting for everyone, all I wanted you to get some time alone with me so you would know that I love you just the way you are. I mean, think about that. How often do we try to prove ourselves to ourselves? I think that's the biggest lie of Satan. Trying to make you paint a picture of something you're never created to be. Because God's picture is a hundred times better. God's picture is a hundred times more awesome. God's plan and His future are so much more powerful and effective 
than what you could ever dream or imagine. And every time that I look at myself and I act a certain way, I take all the credit and I take God off His throne and I put me on my throne. And then God quickly does what? He takes me off His throne and reminds me who's supposed to be on the throne. You see, why am I so vulnerable with you guys? Because I know you deal with the same stuff. I know that these are tensions and these are problems. I know, I promise I'm not doing communion today because I just wiped my nose. That was totally nasty. I know you're doing communion this morning, Ethan. I know, I know that you're wrestling with the stuff that you don't get God's grace. And I am so thankful for Wednesday as my chest is ready to like burn out I'm driving down the road and he says, Rob, Deal with your stuff. And he brought me back to the very moment that I struggled with it. How cool is that? It was like a video camera. There I was in high school. Terrified of never living up to everyone else's expectation. And then having this expectation that I put on myself. And all of a sudden, God said, stop, enough. And I've had so much freedom and liberty this week since then. Amen? And lastly, prove ourselves to God. God's grace is so simple, yet we complicate it so much. Think about the kids this week. I love giving my gifts to all my kids, but when you give a gift to your youngest child, they get it the most. Because they're at this age that that they still believe that like, wow, they just love me. And they won't open it and compare it to something else on the internet. Or they won't do all these things that we've all done. But they literally come to a place that that we gift our children simply because we love them. And all these three connect because we start living in a place of proving ourselves to God. You see how they all connect? They all kind of have the same vine and, and, and branches that inter, intertwine. But the problem again is, is that we want to prove ourselves to God so much so that God has to bless us. Right? We want to prove ourselves so much to God that God has to look down from the heavens and say, Oh, my perfect child, how I will grace you for all of your holiness and all of your splendor. Listen to this in Deuteronomy. For you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to His forefathers as it is today. We think that we can produce things with our hands. That all of a sudden that God has to bless us in return. That if we do all of these things that that we prove God right, or even if we live in a standard in a way that even at times... We even try to prove God wrong. Do you know that, Christians? There are times in your life 
that in your frustration of things not going your way, you try to prove God wrong. You try to prove that His plan is not perfect. And so you live this life and you get so frustrated that God is saying that my will is right here. Just walk in it. Just go through it. All the pain, all the trial, all the sorrow, all the victories, all the joy, all the blessings. If you live right here, watch what I'm going to do. But when things aren't going our way, we go, I'm going this way. And I'm going to prove God wrong. You see, narrow is the gate to life. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But we actually live in this place that we almost feel that we have to prove ourselves to God. If we are earning things from God, then who is really in control? Think about that. If we are really trying to earn things from God, then who is really in control? The simple is simple answer is this. We are. When we are constantly trying to prove ourselves to God, we are in control. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. It's so funny when you've lived a very destructive life. There's not a lot of blessings from it. Trust me. There's not a lot of blessings from living a a destructive life. You have a lot of wounds, a lot of scars, a lot of sorrow, a lot of pain. But there's one. And there's one blessing that I was willing to go through that I am so glad that I learned. that, That to those who have received grace for what it is. They are the most gracious people. Those who have gone through the gates of hell and back and have seen the power of Jesus in their life, they become the most gracious people. And what we've done in the church is we've distorted it. That bad sin is the worst thing you can do. You know the greatest sin of all is pride. And if you are a person filled with pride, your life is just as dirty, just as distorted, just as whacked, just as confused, just as messed up than the drug addict or prostitute in New York City today. You see, when we receive and understand God's grace, we come to a place that that's how we live then. A grace-filled life. You come to a place that, yes, I do try to prove myself to others, but I'm wrong. Yes, I do try to prove myself to myself, and that's wrong. Yes, I do try to prove myself to God, but that's wrong. And all you want to do is take this grace and give it to others.
I wish I never had to go through the lessons that I went through. But I can say this humbly because I've gone through hell and back. I opened my heart up for Wednesday to happen. I say that humbly, not arrogantly. And it doesn't mean that you need to go smoke pot tonight or get drunk or do these things or or go do something dumb. It means you need to come to a place and say, God, I am broken. I am lost. I am wretched. I am a mess. I see that I try to prove myself to everyone else rather than just receiving your grace. Let me just ask you a few things. What are some indicators in life that someone does not truly believe God's grace? First, they take criticism and failure badly. Anyone do that? Anyone take criticism and failure badly? Good, we have lots of liars in here. You need Jesus. Second, they find it hard to relax. Anyone find it hard to relax? Okay, the rest of you are a liar. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. They are proud or envy the success of others. Anyone ever feel that? Okay? We had a whole lot of liars. I think we just need the gospel today. <laughs> Lastly, they make people feel guilty for not working and performing as hard as them. Yep, there we go. Anyone feel that way? Hands up. Good. We need, a lot of people need Jesus today. Here's what we've been doing with these four gospel truths, and I'll wrap it up. We have hit on God is great. God is glorious. And God is good. And God is gracious. So that we can begin to gospel our hearts. We need to start believing for ourselves in our everyday life. We need to ask ourselves, why do, I, why do I have to control everything? Because the answer is this. You do not fully believe that God is great. You need to ask yourself, like, like why do I constantly live in a place that, that I'm always fearing others? Because you don't believe that God is glorious. Why is it that I always run to these certain things for satisfaction to fill this void that, that is so deep and so empty that, that I have to keep running because you actually do not believe that God is good. And that all the time, God is good. And this morning you need to gospel your soul and say, why? Why do I always compare myself to others? Why am I always trying to prove myself? Why am I never myself? Why do I live in a place of constant tension? Because you totally do not understand the grace of God. Let me wrap up with this. Last thing I promise. There comes a place in our lives where these things drive us to the deepest pit. That we're either going to run away from God 
Anyone ever feel like that? Or run to God? And it's when we come to that place that we decide to run to God. That God helps us see our identity for what it is. His children. Loved. Cared for. Provided. We come to this place where all of a sudden that we realize that we can't do it without ourselves and all of a sudden God infuses us with His power. And our lives begin to change and our actions begin to change and our thoughts begin to change and our language begin to change and our love becomes real. Each one of these Four truths actually deal with the identity issue. First, who he is. What do you truly believe about him? And second, who you are as a child of God. I'll say, I'll say this. I just want to say thank you for letting me be your pastor. Because you let me deal with my junk. And you're gracious through it. It's a privilege to work these things out. And I want to invite you to work these things out with me. And so when you come to the Lord's table today, simply say, Jesus, I believe you are great. I believe you are glorious. I believe you're good. And most importantly, I believe that you are gracious to me. And let this Christmas give you a whole new identity for who you are as a child of God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And uh, I'm going to invite Sue, would you take one side of communion? And since I wipe my nose, I'm going to ask Jeremy to come do the other side. And one of the things that we're learning here at the plant is being a worshiping community. During this communion song, Let's worship. If that means you're sitting, if you're standing, whatever you need to do, use this time to allow God to bring healing and hope to your hearts. Jesus, as we come to the Lord's table, we are letting you gospel us. We are letting your good news become real become powerful. We are allowing you to, in this moment, no matter what happens later on, that we are identifying you as great, as glorious, as good, and as gracious. So God, not that one, but that all, we would all encounter you 
that would cause us to live a life of graciousness. Amen. If there's anyone here who wants to live out these gospel truths, I invite you to come and partake with us. Come forward.